It's a great honor for me to be here at the Empire Club of Canada today, which is arguably the most famous and historically relevant speakers podium to have ever existed in Canada. It has offered its podium to such international luminaries as Winston Churchill, Ronald Reagan, Audrey Hepburn, the Dalai Lama, Indira Gandhi, and closer to home, from Pierre Trudeau to Justin Trudeau. Literally generations of our great nation's leaders, alongside with those of the world's top international diplomats, heads of state, and business and thought leaders. It is a real honor and a distinct privilege to be invited to speak to the Empire Club of Canada, which has been welcoming international diplomats, leaders in business and in science and in politics. And when they stand at that podium, they speak not only to the entire country, but they can speak to the entire world. Good afternoon. Welcome to the 119th season of the Empire Club of Canada. To our in-person attendees, I'm delighted to be here with you today and our virtual audience joining in live or on demand, thank you for your participation and support. This incredible community of colleagues and peers is the driving force behind our mandate to engage, debate, educate, and advance the dialogue on issues of importance to Canadians. Welcome. My name is Sal Rabani, and I'm the President of the Board of Directors of the Empire Club of Canada. To formally begin this afternoon, I want to acknowledge that we're gathering today on the traditional and treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit and the homelands of the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. We encourage everyone to learn more about the traditional territory on which you work and live. This season, the Empire Club strives to bring you divergent and thought-provoking perspectives on politics, healthcare, technology, business, arts, and culture. Today's conversation focuses on an integrated regional transit system that will create exciting new possibilities for the region and provide economic and environmental benefits for our communities. As a forum that looks to engage and participate with its audience, I invite you to submit questions for our speaker by scanning the QR code found on your program booklet or accessing the Q&A function under your video player. Turning to today's program, I want to recognize the Empire Club's board of directors, staff, and volunteers. Thank you for your contributions to making this event a success. I'd also like to acknowledge the presence of uh, the Honourable Stan Cho, the Associate Minister of Transportation, the Government of Ontario. The Empire Club of Canada is a not-for-profit organization, and we'd like to recognize our sponsors who generously support the club and make these events possible and complimentary for our online viewers to attend. Thank you to our lead event sponsors, ACON and WSP. Thank you to our VIP reception sponsor, Leuna. And thank you to our supporting sponsors, Black and McDonald, Provincial Building and Construction Trades Council of Ontario. And lastly, thank you to our season sponsors, Bruce Power, Hydro One and TELUS. 
For those joining us online, if you require technical assistance, please start a conversation with our team using that chat button on the right-hand side of your screen. It is now my pleasure to invite Jennifer Varellen of WSP to introduce our guest speakers. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you, Sal, and thank you to the Empire Club. So good afternoon, and I hope you enjoyed today's lunch. My name is Jennifer Brellen, and I'm the Senior Vice President of Transportation Systems here in uh, WSP Canada, and I'm also the Global Rail and Transit Lead. It is my absolute pleasure to be here today for the important discussion on the progress of transit expansion in the Greater Golden Horseshoe. This, the significant work being done today to expand our regional transit system is so important for the prosperity of this region for decades to come. It's easy to focus on how important it is to improving the transit in our region for economic development, or how it will have a significant impact on our efforts to reduce carbon emissions. But at the heart of the transit expansion, it's our people. This project will positively impact millions of people who are looking for an easier way to connect with the people that they love, the activities that they enjoy, and the places that they want to explore. People who want to live in the community where their kids go to school, but work in a community that is home to their dream job. People who love the hustle and bustle of the downtown core during the week, but want to escape in a more relaxed way on the weekend. And during the pandemic, transit was there to get our essential workers to and from their jobs. Improving our transit system will provide the opportunity for our neighbors, our friends, the essential workers, and so many of us here today in this room. Our team at WSP is thankful to once again work alongside our industry partners such as ACON and our colleagues at Metrolinks to deliver transit links for our communities. We're proud to be part of the team delivering the Union Station Expansion Project, the Encore Project, and many of the interfacing projects of the GO Expansion Program. And all of these projects will increase the opportunities to connect people with the places that they want to be. Now, without further ado, it is my privilege to introduce a person who I've admired for a very long time and who's leading the way in this great historical transit expansion in Ontario, Mr. Phil Verster. Phil is the president and CEO at Metrolinks. He oversees a team committed to transforming transportation in the Greater Golden Horseshoe. Prior to joining Metrolinks, Phil managed train operations, infrastructure builds, and infrastructure management for passenger rail systems in England, Scotland, and Ireland. Phil joined Metrolinks in October 2017 and is now leading the organization in delivering an integrated regional transportation system that will serve the needs of residents and businesses for years to come. In leading today's discussion is Anita Sharma, who is a network news anchor of CTV News and journalist. And welcome to the stage, Mr. Phil Verster and Ms. Anita Sharma. Hi everyone, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome, Phil. Thank you, thank you for having me. Great video, I think that was uh, impressive to show everybody in the room and to all our friends online today. 
what Metrolinx is up to, how expansive your projects are, and maybe why you're experiencing just a little pushback. Um, I was scratching my head. I was wondering, what should be my first question? What should be my first question? I'm bracing myself. <laughs> Michael Kobzar calls me Friday. Are you watching CP24? I said, oh, let me turn it on. And there we have it. A situation with trees. Osgood Hall. What's going on, Phil? Well, clearly um, there are matters in front of the court about this, and we're very respectful, and, and we can't talk to that and won't talk to that. But you know what? Osgood Hall is a microcosm of a lot of the decisions we need to make, um, and the decisions we make on all of our programs. And when you think of um, the mandate we've got is to literally build transit faster in a region and in a city that's been starved of transit. And so when we make choices now, our urgency is to keep in mind these are 150, 200 year choices we make. So what we decide has to be, it's there for, for 150, 200 years at least. And so let's think about that northeast corner um, uh, of University and Queen. We do extensive modeling, and by far the majority of people are going to be on that northeast corner wanting to go down into the Osgoode Hall Station, which is line one and the Ontario line. And there is a priority for us to make sure that, that we meet the two things any transit business case must do. But transit is about two things. It's about capacity and journey time. And so we look at the best possible option to get people to transit immediately. So if we think of entrances, and we did about 10 different entrance scenarios, but if you look on the western side of university, you would take people that are on the northeast side and we know how people behave when they're in a hurry and in a rush. And we'd say to them, you, have to, you can't really go down this remaining entrance because it's too narrow. People will still try and will have safety risk and congestion. And from day one, people would be uncomfortable with a solution and be so for the next 200 years. Because some of them would then have to go to the western side of university, cross over a very busy road, perhaps jaywalk, perhaps have to stand and wait for the, for the pedestrian crossing to change, adding four or five minutes to a journey time that's 15 minutes. In a, single, in a single decision, you've wiped out a third, 30% of the business case for that entrance, and you've wiped it out for the next 200 years. So here's the important thing for us, and, uh, and of course, we consult extensively. Of course we hear what people say to us. But in the end, our mandate is clear. This is about customers and about transit, and this is about the 400,000 people that are going to use the Ontario Line for 200 years. <laughs> and, and we must be total in our commitment on these business cases. Um, and that's how we approach it. But 
It's challenging. I can tell you that. It's challenging. And I keep on saying to my team, if it was going to be easy, it would have been done by now. And we accept that, and we are committed, and we appreciate the support we get from all of you. So, Phil, thank you for that. You know, you did mention right off the top that you're very respectful of the discourse uh, that's been taking place. A lot of people here uh, live in Toronto, live in the regional area, the Greater Golden Horseshoe, uh, and or work here as well. Transit affects everyone, our families, our children, our relatives, our, our colleagues. So of course, it seems like you really appreciate what's at stake here. It's in the DNA of every Torontonian. That stated, there's still all that chatter, right? Folks are saying, why those trees? Why did it have to be that entrance? Did you, did you do the extensive work necessary? And I guess I, the question I have is, the folks that are presenting these uh, arguments, uh, the, injunction, the injunction was sought. I understand there's a hearing, like you said, uh, tomorrow at the Court of Appeal at Osgoode Hall. Uh, where were, were they consulting with you during this process? Because you said it was a lengthy one. So why is this coming up last week? Consulting and consultations on transit projects is is a very intense exercise. And on Osgoode Hall, for example, and on all of Ontario Line, we've consulted for more than two years. Okay. And this is a, it takes a village. I mean, some of the consultations up in difficult, in, in difficult challenging, on difficult challenging issues, I chair myself at times. Um, and, and we are committed. And let's talk about this a little bit more. Um, at Osgoode Hall, when we, we've consulted LSO and it's in the public domain 17 times or such over two years, and we, we actually shrunk the footprint of that entrance by about 29%, the engineers tell me, um, to, make, to accommodate the request for a smaller footprint. Mm -hmm. we, we make concessions where we can and where we do not affect the reasonable, good business case for transit, which must be true for the next 200 years. And so we, so give you an example, in Thorncliffe Park, um, uh, we moved the elevated guideway to the other side of Overly based on advice from communities. In Leslieville and, uh, and, and, and Riverside, we worked with the community to change our construction methodology in the work in the joint corridor because they were concerned about many things, uh, such as um, are the five parks that are going to be smaller after you've done your work? We're going to make sure all parks, those five parks, are bigger after we've built, okay. Jimmy Simpson included. Okay. So the, the focus for us to, 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 to adjust how we implement is, is very strong. On Osgoode Hall, um, we were very respectful when last year the mayor, um, the mayor proposed to do an independent study mm -hmm. and get an independent party to come and look at our decisions. And we said, fine, we'll wait. And the report was going to be finished. I think it was December or the like, and it only became available late January and was published early February. But we waited. Mm -hmm. 
and a very good third-party um, assessment was done, um, totally independent of ourselves, and confirmed that that northeast location is the best location. And so, here's the thing. This is how it works. It takes time to get decisions settled in. You can make respectful arguments that some comments should have been whenever. I'm more philosophical about this. These are big decisions. We don't need, we don't need to be sensitive about the fact that if anyone else wants to scrutinize it, they should do so, and we do that. Because getting this built and getting it built right is what's important. What is it, 400,000 passengers per day, per day. Uh, is, what you, is what you're trying to service uh, on the Ontario line, is that correct? That's the business case, yes. Yeah, a $17 billion project, a lot at stake. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. I really appreciate you being as candid as you can, given the fact that I do understand you'll be at the, uh, well, your, your team will be at the Ontario Court of Appeal tomorrow, so very sensitive issue. Uh, my phone's been burning up. Ask Phil about the, everybody wants to know what's happening in their backyard. Crosstown LRT, the Eglinton Line. Uh, there's rumors, been looking in the paper. Uh, apparently, this could be launched. Uh, there's been a lot of delays. Uh, we don't have to get into those uh, today. But there were some rumors, some rumblings, Phil. It could happen this spring or summer. It yeah. could open. You know, dash the hopes. So... <laughs> <laughs> Great question again. You've really prepared. Go <laughs> so on Eglinton Crosstown, uh, the project is going through the testing, commissioning, certification, and documentation phases now. Now, that may sound a little bit dreary, um, but this, for me, is the most important phase of the project, because this is where we get affirmation and confirmation that what we bought is what we're getting. Okay. That the system, the whole transit system, was designed to what the contract asked for. And that the engineer of record signs off that we are getting that and that is tested and delivered to what we require. And that's the number one. That is my number priority. one consideration. Yeah. Yeah. And that what is really unambiguous is we will open Eglinton Crosstown when we are comfortable that it's a safe and reliable transit system. Mm -hmm. And we won't open it before that. And similarly, I will not declare a date for it to open in advance till I have a robust schedule that I believe in. Can you give a year or? <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. Are you going to give me a year? Crosstown, <laughs> Eglinton Crosstown. Now, and I've, I've been on it many times, and so has Rick Leary, um, who's a fantastic colleague. And I want to say the TTC is fabulous in their support for, the, for what um, the CTS team, the project company, is doing. Here's the, the really important thing to keep in mind. A robust schedule would enable us to, be able to, to give a very clear indication of when 
uh, when we'll be in customer service. And the four companies that are delivering this for us, Acon and SNC Lavalin and Dragados and Elasdon are good companies. And they've got good people working on the project. These decisions that we make now are really important because the customers of the TTC cannot be asked to go through an introduction period of a system that is not reliable and not safe. And so we'll continue to work with the project company and we'll continue to, to work towards an opening date. Are you giving us a year? No. <laughs> okay, we're not getting a year. No, no indication at all. Okay. Uh, you're from South Africa originally. Our table, we're having discussions, folks from France, I spend a lot of time in Europe, Germany, and Netherlands. Uh, you look at the transit system, uh, particularly in Europe, wow. Who doesn't want to take transit, right, when you're in Europe? You don't, Uber, nobody takes Uber. Uh, no offense to Uber, but everybody wants to jump on the train. Everybody wants to get to the next destination. Uh, it runs like clockwork. It's the envy. It's the Apple. <laughs> it's just the envy of transit everywhere. Jennifer said uh, you spent a lot of time Phil, working at UK Rail, what's the, what's the key, what are we missing here in Toronto where uh, we won't go back to the Ontario line uh, issue that's, that's ahead of the appeals court, in front of the appeals court. What's the main issue here that keeps Toronto from moving ahead? World-class city, what are we, 8 million people and growing. We have a transit system that it seems like you, Jean-Louis, and the whole crew, it is a club where you guys are, and, and ladies are moving forward to try to push through significant transit improvements. What's the main problem here? Well, what's missing in the mindset here uh, that you see very evident in, in Europe? All, all extensive transit systems have one feature in common, and that is these systems are developed consistently, continuously over many years. And so the current mandate we've got is very ambitious, very challenging, and is intended to give transit a huge step forward. But if we are going to develop transit to be solutions that really meet the economic requirements of a region, this has to be a continuous program over many years consistently in terms of how we, cons how we consult with communities, how we implement and how we build. Just the industry pressures on a huge program such as what we've got, and we've, been f we've had fabulous support from global companies joining us in, um, in, our, in, in our program. And a lot of that's got to do with changes we've made to how we buy um, transit and what contract forms we use. And, how we think about transfer of risk. All of that plays a role to help the industry. But the best way to develop big, complex transit systems is to do it on an ongoing basis. And I think that's really important. It'll so, make a big so, difference. So not once in a blue moon. This is sort of a continuation. Just keep going. Uh, do you, what's your, how far do you look ahead? Is it 20 years, 200 years? What's your plan? So we've put proposals forward that looks at a, a, a 2041 date and looks 
at all of the different trends in how communities are developed, how housing is built, um, primary development, development plans, secondary development plans, and really where communities are going to form and communities are going to travel from. And, and that's really uh, fundamental to, to have a sensible sense of where the business case benefits would be and where future transit solutions must come from. I can't think of a better person to talk to than you when it comes to urban planning because I would think that you, alongside a lot of folks at this table, many tables here, uh, get to see firsthand what this city is going to look like 2, 10, 20, 30 years out. Uh, I'm sure we're all excited to know if you can share with us what that entails. Cities in the future, and you see that in our children, I see it in my son's behavior and in our children. Um, cities are going to become more centralized around transit nodes and are going to be more about work-live-play mm -hmm. in an environment where people's time is the most scarce commodity and the most valuable commodity. And we see a very strong trend towards transit-oriented developments at stations. And we are across the region involved with several developers and regions and municipalities to, to make that possible. And I think, I think we are in for a huge step change in motor vehicle ownership. Um, and, I, and, and while this is sometimes overhyped, but I, I think we are at a time where most, most people that own vehicles use it for St the statistic is five or six percent of the day. The rest of the time it's parked up somewhere and taking up space. And we're into autonomous vehicles and better connectivity with, uh, better connectivity with, with public transit. Sorry, Phil, is that also the case for folks that live in suburban areas where, at least for present day, they don't have decent access to transit? Five to six percent, it's that low? There's so many studies done on how people, people's cars are parked for most of the time, and their travel time is, uh, well, some people travel time, depending on traffic in Toronto, maybe, maybe yeah. may, may have a larger percentage. But the real issue for us in the future is how communities decide to develop and what's important to communities. I'll take myself, for example. Sure. I don't own a motor car. I use public transit wherever I go. Um, when I want to travel out of the city, I lease a car. And I think it's important for me, and I, that's just how I am. And I think I, I, see, I see that in, in uh, my wife, myself, my two children, both of them are, are, are above 20 years old. None of us have cars. My, my daughter lives in the UK, and she still she's, lives the same way. This is coming, and it's coming to places like Toronto. And, I, and, and therefore, I think transit is much more than getting from point A to point B. It's, it's going to become more and more a way of living and a way of getting around. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case if you live in downtown Toronto, but I think there are a lot of folks that say live in Mississauga, uh, Oakville, that aren't close to a GO Transit line. Uh, and we know, I'm speaking off the top of my head, but real estate prices are usually higher uh, the closer you get to a public transit line. So for the folks, the number one complaint that I've been hearing from folks is that They'd love to drop the car. They'd love to have a few drinks with their friends, hop on public transit, uh, dare I say the bus, you know, like get on the bus, get on whatever, uh, take the public transit, not an Uber, but it's just not possible. 
I think investments such as what we're making in uh, LRTs, the McCallion line, Hazel McCallion line, yeah. Finch West LRT. Rest in peace, Hazel McCallion. Respectfully. Wow. Given her life to public service. The, yeah. the, the Finch West LRT, Eglinton Crosstown LRT, high frequency bus networks. The TTC has a phenomenal network of buses. And I think behaviors will change and attitudes will continue to change. And we are already thinking about what type of trade-offs in behaviors we, we'd like to encourage through providing a more frequent um, go service. Mm -hmm. A classic example, we, we have a multi-billion dollar go expansion program that now we've got a consortium of companies that are delivering, um, that are supporting the on-express team. Um, many people in the room here would know and be part of that, um, which, is a, which is a total revolution of our regional rail through GO work. We can take the capacity on the GO lines up to a ridership level that's three times the level it is today, mm -hmm. three times. Um, shorter trains, bi-directional. Currently, quite a lot of capacity on our network is limited um, in one-directional travel. Um, and that investment would give more capacity. And I just think this is the type of systematic investment that'll change how people travel. The concept today is very much to travel into the center of downtown Toronto. Um, we're getting, we'll be in the next 10, 15 years in a place where people in Burlington are traveling towards Hamilton. Um, people yeah. in Oshawa are traveling um, to, uh, down to uh, Eglinton Station. Um, That's the enviable goal. Uh, you know, on a personal note, where I spend a lot of time is a small city in, uh, in Netherlands, 160,000 people. I call that a town. Uh, they call it a city in Netherlands. <laughs> fully functioning with transit. Uh, they're not fully focused on Amsterdam. There's all these little, beautiful, bustling uh, cities, proper cities, with a hospital, with transit, with everything you need to live well with 10, 15 uh, uh, minute commutes to work. That really is the goal, right? That quality of life you talk about. And boy, did folks get a taste of that during the pandemic. Yeah. I think Canada will always be different in the sense that it is geographically a huge country. Yeah. But there's probably a distinction in terms of how public transit works in the more urbanized city areas, such as the Greater Golden Horseshoe, and in the rest of the country. And it won't really ever be the same as the Netherlands. But we are on a journey. When I say Netherlands, you know, you can pick any European country, and you're right, the land mass, as soon as you cross into Canada, you're still on the plane for another few hours, right, before if you're landing in Toronto, before you get to Pearson Airport. I appreciate that. I think it's the mindset that delivering transit, delivering proper uh, services, if you will, for cities that are more than one, two hours outside of a main center. I guess that's the goal outside of Europe, wherever you are. And it sounds like that's what you're, you're working towards, uh, right, uh, with uh, all the expansion. Absolutely. The, our subway program, which is four significant extensions, um, including the Ontario Line, of course, but also Young North, as well as Eglinton Crosstown West and Scarborough, um, are phenomenally important to just create that ex 
that, that further extended network. And when you look at um, Eglinton Crosstown um, as it's getting finalized now, and you look at the developments along, uh, along, along yeah. Eglinton, it is just game changing. Uh, I'm very excited about the Hamilton LRT project, which will transform Hamilton as well. And, 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 and the extent of investment around the Hamilton corridor where the LRT is gonna run is phenomenal. And I think here's what's so important about these transit systems. They are truly transformational. And, and we, we gotta remember, this is about communities and customers and people that depend on transit to get from point A to point For B. Sure and safety and service. And when we think of that, quite a lot of these other things become manageable. I didn't want to look, uh, seem rude looking at my phone because I know folks have questions and I want to get to them. But before I get to these questions, you mentioned uh, Rick Leary. Um, how important is that relationship for you? Because we had uh, Rick Leary also at the Empire Club, as you know, and he talked about some conversations that he's had with you in the past and just how important it is for all the major transit hubs to work together to deliver excellence uh, in this area for Torontonians, for, is it how, Hamiltonians, uh, folks in Hamilton, yes. uh, folks in Oshawa, folks on St. Clair West. How, how important is that relationship with the TTC? Phenomenal, phenomenally important. Um, Gary Downey, who was a key member of Rick's team. Rick, um, there are so many names I can give of people in the TTC that are close colleagues and important partners to deliver everything from Eglinton Crosstown LRT operations through to what we do on our Presto modernization, which we are in the market for as well. And I think I think what binds quite a lot of people in the Greater Golden Horseshoe from the transit agencies is a service ethic around passengers, customers, riders, whatever terminology applies to, to, to those agencies, because people use different terms. But that service ethic is what, what brings us together to get things done. I think, I think so much about transit is about relationships. So whether it's relationships, um, that contracting entities have with owner entities such as our own, with its relationships with our First Nations, which are super important and critical for us, uh, with its relationships with communities itself, whether we can agree or disagree on particular points of community raised in consultations, all of these relationships are really, really crucial. And sometimes, I say just really, very honest, sometimes we, we are so, so, all of us are spending so much time to look at the one or two things that go wrong. Mm -hmm. Because things do go wrong at times. We forget about the, the overall bigger prize of the many things we do that, that's going right. You know, when you look at that, uh, that video reel, um, wow. we are consistently delivering and we are consistently heading in the right direction. And uh, as, I, as I said earlier, one of the things we have within our organization is we say, look, be respectful, we are humble. I'm very humble about the mandate we've got, but if it was gonna be easy, it would have been done. Mm -hmm. So 
we, we do accept that it's challenging, but that's largely what breaks it enjoyable as well. It's a dynamic city, the greater Golden Horseshoe, uh, just spectacular, exciting times, right? It is, it is. Phil, a lot of folks uh, were really curious about hearing from you today, and I do want to thank you for anyone who doesn't know, and a lot of folks won't know, Phil said to me earlier, ask me anything. You know, obviously you were watching CP24 <laughs> on Friday too. He said, ask me anything, Nothing, nothing's off the books, uh, and that's the only way we could have done this interview. So Phil, I appreciate your, candid your being candid and, uh, and addressing uh, not only the room here today, but folks online. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. You ready for some questions? Yes. Okay, let's take them. Number one. Okay, you talked about the long-term plan for Metrolinx, for Toronto, the Hamilton area. What is your vision as a company for the next five years in light of all the planned expansion? Our highest priority by far is to get the shift that we've implemented two and a half years ago from fixed price contracting to target price contracting, to get that shift settled in and to get through a couple of really important development phases. You know, there are colleagues in the room here. Um, uh, the semantics here is, is very, very simple. Big contracts have risk transfers in it. And if you ask someone to build, bid a fixed price, they take all of the risks, really. And working through a development phase with a market, rather than demanding a fixed price, allows for more learning and more better solutions that are better for the contracting chain, but also better for taxpayers. I can give you an example with a fabulous um, alliance model at Union Station uh, Enhancement Project, where when we went through the development phase, we found things that were over-specified to about 15, 18% of the contract. And now, fantastic alliance partner found cost-saving opportunities to a similar event. And when you put these two together, we have a better transit project. That's the concept. Now, that's easy for everyone to understand, isn't it? But it's challenging in terms of behaviors in meetings, behaviors on contracts, behaviors in how we deal with each other. So the industry is in a very interesting place, I think. We've made that big shift and we're letting contracts on a target price basis, which is a huge shift and has been followed in other markets as well. And we are so grateful that you contractors in our midst have responded so well to it and globally have responded so well to it. But it's a change and there's behaviors that need to change. And there's outcomes we need to achieve together, and, and that's what I'm passionate about. We need to get this settled in. And I sense the passion, and we've got three minutes, so I'm gonna... Sorry. Be, no, no, you've been, you've been a great. Uh, three questions to go. I really wanna get to them because yeah. they're very different questions, uh, but you're gonna get, can you do, unfair to you, 30 seconds each. Uh, with the time-sensitive collaboration needed for Ontario Line, Don Valley, Thorncliffe Park areas, what is being done differently with engagement, so an Osgood Hall situation does not halt construction. We have a whole focus to make sure we address the questions that come from First Nations as well as from um, community groups that have an interest. And, and we, 
we have a commitment. We will deliver on what we commit to, 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 to our First Nations as well as to communities. Okay, great. Is the time at hand for a one fare, possibly a surcharge for traveling across region system between GTA regions, specifically York region, city of Vaughan, Councillor Gila Martos, that's from yeah. the councillor. Yeah, our, our Minister Cho is leading a, a, a very exciting project on, on, on fare integration and uh, he, he's, he, he's going to come with proposals um, in the future. This is very exciting. This is, this is an exciting time. Okay. Final question. How do we change the mindset? You touched on this earlier, uh, the mindset of people who live in the suburbs and believe car is king. I think it'll change over time. I just think it'll change over time. The new generation have different ways of doing things. And as technology catches up, more autonomous vehicles, more LRTs getting built, more transit, public transit opportunities, I think the Greater Golden Horseshoe is going to look very different in a couple of years' time. I'm really excited to see it. On behalf of everyone in the club, everyone at home, uh, thank you so much, Phil, and we look forward to seeing what you all accomplish. Thank you, Anita. Thank you. Thank you, sir. <laughs>
integration with the city traffic signals. Number four, they ultimately interface with dozens of thousands of people and members of the public every day and have to guarantee a safe and reliable service for the customers that rely on it for their daily commute, which requires the most stringent safety processes during the design, construction, and operation of those systems. The GTA currently has one of the highest concentration of concurrent transit projects compared to anywhere in the world. ACON is actively engaged with many of the most significant projects of this program, including Eglinton Crosstown LRT, Finch West LRT, the Eglinton Crosstown West Extension Advanced Tunnel, the GO Expansion on Corridor Electrification, and the Scarborough Subway Extension Station Rails and Systems. And through these projects, ACON employs and continues to build up one of the strongest and most specialized teams in Canada for further expansion in North America and worldwide. Phil, working together there are, of course, challenges. And we both know what I mean. Because you know this industry intimately, you know those challenges, and you are extremely demanding. There is no place for vague or approximate answers during our meetings or side visits. Don't laugh, please. And we like it. For example, when it comes to schedule adherence within those extremely complex projects where there is not one but multiple critical paths, you are dedicated and we respect that. System integration is one of your key focus area to deliver safe, reliable, and sophisticated transit project. And it is also our key focus area. It's an honor for ACON to be part of building the future of transit in the GTA as we work together to overcome these challenges. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Jean-Louis, and uh, thanks again to Jennifer and all our sponsors for their support, to WSP, Akon, Anita Sharma, Phil Verster, and everyone joining us today in person and online. As a club of record, all Empire Club of Canada events are available to watch and listen to on demand on our website. The recording of this event will be available shortly, and everyone registered will receive a link. Thanks again for joining us today. We invite you to stay and join us in the lobby for continued networking. Have a great afternoon. This meeting is now adjourned.